Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you that you rescued us and saved us through his blood on the cross. We thank you that you raised him from the dead. And we thank you for the simplicity of the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. And the grace that whoever simply believes in your son, Jesus Christ, as their savior, will never perish but have eternal life. Uh, this morning, uh, before we begin, we would like to take a moment to pray for the victims of Hurricane Ian. We pray that those who have died, we pray for their families and their neighbors and their friends. We pray for all those who have lost anything, incurred any kind of damage in that hurricane. We pray that you would quickly bring the resources to bear so that they can start rebuilding their lives and their property and their towns. Father, we would like to pray for our own John and Pam Jordan this morning. Like we pray that they would be able to uh, have, be comforted by you, that uh, the damage that was caused by the water that got into their home, that you would uh, repair that, bring back uh, new new belongings that they've lost and, re- and help them to remodel after this uh after this terrible thing that's happened to them in particular. We know there are others as well, Father, that are associated with our ministry. We pray for them that we don't know the specifics. And we also pray this morning, Father, for each one of us. We pray that we may continue to fight the good fight, we continue to rely on you and your son for all of our needs. We ask this morning, Father, for the Holy Spirit's guidance as we continue to study your word and as well as in the worship service, as well as in the celebration of the Lord's Supper today. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> we'll give the stragglers a moment. <laughs> No pressure, Calvin. Don't worry about it. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's all stand and uh, sing one congregation song to get started this morning. Well, for, for everybody online, I'm going to quickly go through the announcements. I mute my microphone during the song service so you don't have to hear this voice, but afterwards I forget sometimes to un. Muted. So here we are again. Again, the Lord's Supper at the end of service today. Pastor Kingsley is going to have a mission trip to the West Indies on November 1st to the 15th, coming right up. Also, remember this opportunity we have to give to the Grace Leprosy Home um, in India, headed up by Pastor Adams and his church, are supporting um, 35 residents. They're going to be, they're still in the process of setting this up, taking care of all their needs. Um, approximately $1,000 per month. Our, our church is committed to support this for 12 months, for a year. If you'd like to join us in this giving, just direct your gifts to the church. Um, Lighthouse Bible Church, indicate um, either on on um, PayPal or on your check that is your gift is for the Grace Leprosy Home. All right. I th- it wasn't bad for you guys to have a second repetition on that right it helps especially your first thing in the morning all right let's now begin our message the title of today's message is the lord god planted a garden the lord god planted a garden please turn to the gospel of john chapter 11 verse 33 as we begin john chapter 11 verse 33 we're in a series now to answer that 
question about what is man? A basic question. Um, it's a basic question that the Bible answers. But I don't want anybody to forget that we are studying the Gospel of John and that this series came out of the passage we've been in, in John chapter 11. And so that reason, I'm gonna, we're going to go to that passage to start again this morning. Again, John chapter 11, verse 33. I'll read it at this time. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, this is Mary, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. He loved him in his humanity, a human relationship between Jesus and a close friend. He was deeply moved in spirit, in, in, his, in his humanity, in his mind, in his heart. He was troubled, as we often are. So remember, all of this points to the fact that Jesus is human in every way except sin. It's something that is impossible to really get your mind around, the fact that Jesus is God and also man. He's completely God and 100% human in every way that a human is except sin. And so that has brought us to this basic question. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? I want to briefly recap where we were last week. We were in Psalm 8, which describes a man as God originally intended him to be. God had an original design for man. And in Psalm 8, we saw how God has God originally intended the human race to be. We saw that God created man and made him his highest creation of all. He crowned him with glory. He gave man the authority to rule over all the works of God's hands on the earth, in the sky, and in the sea. And then Psalm 8 is cited in Hebrews chapter 2, remember, where the subject now in Hebrews chapter 2 isn't man in his original design and creation, but rather the humanity of Jesus. But Hebrews chapter 2 nevertheless cites Psalm 8, remember, Well, now we're in a different situation from the creation of man by the time we get to Hebrews chapter 2, because man fell short. Originally, God designed man with glory to be the ruler over all things on the earth and in the sea and in the sky. But man fell through the sin of Adam. He fell short of that glory. So here's here's God's design and desire for the human race. Man falls, and now he's short of that glory, frustrating the original design that God had for man. So that's because of that, we now have Hebrews 2 coming in and updating Psalm 8, as we saw, in light of man's fall, but also in light of God's Redeemer that has now come, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ came in order to restore mankind to the original design, okay, he came to undo all the damage caused by the fall of Adam, all the damage to the human race, to restore man to God's original design. But now to accomplish this, Jesus had to die. But death and suffering were not part of God's original design for mankind. Let me repeat that. Death and suffering were not part of God's original design for mankind. Suffering was not a part of God's original plan for the human race. Hard for us to understand that, perhaps, because we're surrounded 
by suffering, surrounded by death. I mean, especially this morning in light of, for us anyway, here in South Florida, what happened last week with the hurricane. We had fresh reminders about these things, these curses, really, that have come upon the human race, not because of God's desire for what the human race should be, but because man's fall into the place of death and corruption that we now find ourselves. But Jesus came and he had to die. So think about it. The the curse of sin is death. So Jesus came. He's perfect. He's there, he had, but he has to restore mankind. In order to do that, he has to die. He has to take on the curse of death in order to bring mankind back to the original design. He had to die so he could defeat the devil because the devil had the power of death. Jesus was born of a woman, God the Son, born of a woman. He grew up as a young man. He lived among men and he died to undo those works of the devil. And God the Father raised him from the dead. Now, so far, let's think about it. Being born of a woman, that, by the way, that wasn't um, how Adam was, was brought on the scene. He was created. He grew up and he lived among men. You know, Adam was created as a, as a mature adult, right? He didn't grow up. He was an adult. But Jesus grew up because that's now the, the manner with which all of us come upon the earth and, and become um, an adult. He lived among men. Right? He did it for his whole life, of course. We have a story of Jesus in the Gospels where when he was, I believe, 12 years old, he came up to one of the feasts in Jerusalem with his family and his neighbors and the people of his town. And then on the way back, um, they, the, the parents discovered to their horror that he wasn't with them and, and they go back and find him in the temple. He was an amazing, as you can imagine, amazing child, but nevertheless, one who lived among men in the common form in which men lived and do live now. And then he died. But again, death was not part of God's original design. Adam and the woman were not created to die. But he had to. But then he was raised from the dead. Now, this is something that didn't happen to the original human design either. After all, if, if man was not designed to die, then man was not designed to be resurrected. But... But because of the resurrection of the dead by Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, he now actually became human and and who he was in his now humanity is now greater than God's original design. Because now he has a resurrection body that will never die. He He ascends into heaven. Now, I want you to think about this. God's original design was for man to remain on earth. But when once Jesus comes to die and restore the original design, now this one, the unique human of the universe, not only is raised from the dead, but also ascends into heaven. Now humanity, originally created to be on earth, is now in heaven. This is something new. This is something greater than the original design. And not only did he ascend, he's now seated in glory at the right hand of the Father. Again, something that Adam was never designed for. But now this new humanity embodied in the person of Christ is now heavenly. So God simply didn't undo the curse of Adam's fall, but he goes way beyond the original design after the resurrection from the dead. And and that gives you some idea of the amazingness, it's not a word, of God and also his tremendous grace. And the fact that he's not going to be outdone 
by any fault or failure or evil in the human race. He's always going to have the last word, and the last word will always be the greatest word. And, of course, it's embodied in his son. But as now us who come on the scene and simply believe in his son, the Bible tells us that we are now in Christ. We'll see more of that. But I want you to understand that God's new design, as it were, includes everyone who believes in his son. So God gets more out of resurrection than he does out of creation. You see that? Out of creation, you had man that was earthly. Out of resurrection, you have man that's heavenly. And so many other things as well, which we'll get into. So Jesus is everything that God originally created a human being to be, and so much more. As a matter of fact, Jesus is a completely different order of man that had ever that had come upon the, the world before. He's a completely different order than Adam before the fall. And of course, Adam, obviously, after the fall, Jesus is a totally different order, kind of man. And of course, the fallen man is a different kind of humanity than either Jesus or Adam before the fall. So I hope you see when we ask the question, what is man? Already we have three different answers, as it were. It's really not three different. It's basically three kinds of humanity that were the second two were necessitated by the fall of man. So you had God's original design. That was a kind of humanity. You had the fall of man. Now this is a different kind of humanity, corrupted, subject to death and sin and suffering. And then Jesus comes on the scene. He dies for our sins to restore us to God. And then he is raised up with a third kind of humanity, the greatest kind. All right. So in other words, when we ask the question, what is man? There's a sequence to the answer. It's not simply one kind. It's a story of how mankind fell and was brought back and was raised even higher through the person of Jesus Christ. Well, the story of the human race begins in the book of Genesis. This is where we ended last time. I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 this morning once again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You can't answer the question of what is man without going to the beginning of when mankind was first created. Okay, that's that's where we find out God's design for man. That's where we also find out God's heartbeat, desire, attitude towards man. So many people look at tragedy, and it is tragic. We are, by the way, in addition to praying for those who are victims, we are also to weep as they weep. That's what the Bible says. Weep with those who weep. The Bible also tells us, the New Testament tells us that we should also not only pray and weep, but but to love is also to help, to serve, to reach out somehow in order to provide something for those who are in need. It could be finances. It could be a direct help. It could mainly just also just be uh, communication, being there, talking to somebody in need. But it goes it goes from praying to weeping to helping. The story of the human race again begins, though, in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six. With the creation, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea. Oh, by the way, 
I can't I can't pass without making one observation in in, in, chat, in verse 26. God said, God is speaking. Well, who's he talking to? Let's look. Let us create man in our image. You see, there's a conversation because God is three in one. In other words, in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis, there is, there is it's clear that just like you know, just like we are many people, God is three people in one essence. All right. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Not said, by the way, about any other creation from, from God's hand. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let him rule. God's original design made in his image. We saw last week, but one aspect of that is that God takes who he is and gives us a a, a, a small a version of some of those things. Like God is, is all sovereign over all things, but his original design was for us to have a piece of sovereignty in ruling over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the cattle and, and, and over, over all the earth. Okay. Again, let God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man. See, he said he would, and then he did it. God created man. By the way, what God says, he always does. He always accomplishes. We're seeing that in, in our study of Isaiah. If God says that he is going to deliver the nation of Israel from Babylon, guess what? He always does what he says. If, if God has promised you that he will never forsake you, all right, God always does what he says he's going to do. If God says that he is transforming you into the image and likeness of Christ, which is interesting, by the way, in its own respect, uh, I, I, I don't have time to go through all of this in detail, but think about it. We were originally created how? In the image and likeness of who? God, right? Let us make man in our image, God said. But now, after the fall and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the book of Romans, we're told that we are being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. You, know, you might say, well, what, what's the difference there? I'll tell you the difference. The difference now is, is that God has taken on a human body. And now the design is for us to be made in the image of that glorified human, the God-man, Jesus Christ. You see, because of the fall of man, Jesus takes flesh. And now we are being brought into his image in likeness. In any event, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him, let him rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. By the way, you know what one of the creeping things who creeps on the earth was? The serpent. <laughs> you realize that originally in God's design, Mankind was to have dominion over the serpent, too. Amazing. You can see why the serpent wanted to bring man down, can't you? See, see in addition to the, the fact that the serpent hated God, also hated God's finest creation. Wanted to bring that, that creation down. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, God created them. God determined that man would be the highest order of creation made in God's image and likeness. 
And God gave man the authority to rule over God's creation. That was how God originally designed the human race. You see, we don't do that anymore. We were designed to rule over the earth and the sky and the sea. It was never God's intention, for example, for animals to be ferocious and to be, as it were, beyond our ability to domesticate many of them. That wasn't the original design. It was the original design for man to, to be ruling over all of his creation. One day that'll happen again. One day the, the wolf will lie down with the lamb once again. Genesis 1, 28, God blessed them. This is where we ended. After God created them and gave them rulership and dominion, what did he do? He blessed them. He blessed them. That's, by the way, the grace of God. God is a great and free giver. And, and, and he, you can see this in Genesis chapter 1 to an amazing degree. Creation didn't have to create man, but not only create man, but in his very image and likeness. That's a tremendous outpouring of God's grace and his love freely given to man and woman. He then turned and created all these things to be under man's dominion. And he said, this is all for you. Here you are. It's a gift. It was freely given. Mankind is created. Here we are. He created all these things for for the human race and said, this is yours. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. It's yours. It is a gift. God blessed them, providing man with everything he would ever need or desire. That's very important. Anything good that man desired, God gave to him. In addition to the needs. That's why we see in the Old Testament that the the, the land, the promised land, again, a complete gift from God is a man flowing with the land, flowing with milk and what else? Honey, right? Do you need honey to survive? Well, do you? Maybe some people do. If they don't have honey in their tea, they'll perish. But the fact of the matter is, no. Do we need milk? In other words, do we need nourishment? Yes. Do we need honey? No. But God gave it anyway. Why? Because not only what you need, he says, but what you desire. And whatever you desire in your innermost heart and you follow me, you will receive. By the way, I want you to think about this, too. In the original design, God blesses the human race, that earthly creation, with every natural blessing on earth. Why do you think I put that that way, by the way? Why did I say that in the original design, this is true, we just saw it. God blessed the human race with every natural blessing on earth, right? The man and the woman were created to be on earth. All of the dominion that we had was over the earth. God blessed the human race with every natural blessing on earth. Now, does that remind you of something that we learned that God has done for us as Christians? Maybe not. Maybe a Sunday morning. But we'll see more of this. But in the book of Ephesians, God tells us through his word that he has blessed us with every spiritual heavenly place, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. God's the new man that God has created is greater in in many, many respects than the original man. Yeah, originally every natural blessing on earth, the new man in Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
God created everything else for our use and our benefit. Verse 30, verse 29. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. I never noticed this before, and I have to just mention this in passing, but what was the food for man as he was originally created? Plants. Plants, right, right. We see that we see the beasts and we think, oh, that was food for us too. Here's the problem with that. There was no death in the original design. So so the animals weren't killed either, by the way. Yeah. Now that's all changed. And clearly, I'm not saying that Christians have to be vegetarians. That certainly isn't true. All right. But it is very, it is fascinating to think about the original design. In any event, verse 31, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. Again, the grace of God. Everything that God makes is good. All good gifts come from heaven, from the Father. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Everything was perfect. Everything was in its proper place. So ends the sixth day. God only ever wanted to give good things to the human race. All blessing, all good. All that God wanted to give his highest creation. There's no death here. There's no death in the original design. There's no death in the Garden of Eden. There's no sin there either. There's no suffering there. There's no pain, no disease, no sorrow, no tears. There was no ugliness. Everything was beautiful. No guilt or anger or shame or despair. There was no hunger. There was no thirst. There was no poverty, no neglect, no hatred, no war. There were no hurricanes, no lives destroyed. No homes ruined, nor towns wiped out. These things, of course, are such a part of our lives now that it's hard to even imagine a time when they did not exist. Yet there was such a time. And there will be such a time again. And this time it will never end. And in that time and place, the fairy tales will be true that all will live happily ever after. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Revelation 21, 1. God does not leave the story of the human race in failure. He brings a new element to the story. And now, one day, all of the human race will live happily All of the children of God will live happily ever after. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. At the end, what happens? There's a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Um. 
You know, I used to wonder why is there no longer any sea, you know, but this morning I kind of understand why there's no longer any sea, right? And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. See, heaven and earth will now be joined. You have the earthly people, you have the heavenly man, but in the end, they'll be joined together. A great rejoining of all reconciliation. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So Genesis 1, 28-31 is the first account of the creation of man. It happened on the sixth day of creation. But Genesis 2, interestingly, gives a second account of the creation of man on the sixth day. A lot of people read Genesis 2 and think it happened after Genesis 1. I mean, I suppose it's natural enough to think that. But in the scriptures, there are times when an event is recorded, but then it's followed by a a second recording of the same event giving more details than the first. This is something else we're studying on Thursday evenings, right? We're in Ezekiel 38 and 39, the the Gog invasion. And we saw that chapter 38 gives the, the story, as it were. Chapter 39 comes back and adds important details. It's called the law of recurrence. And, and, and unless you understand that this is a way in which God structures some of his scriptures, you'll you'll miss out on what's really being done because when God stops a story and says, hold on, I need to give you more details about that one, that says this is really important. Well, what's the sixth day? What's the triumphant end of the sixth day of creation? Us, man. He says, this is so important to God, he's going to go back and he's going to give more details about the creation of man on the sixth day. Genesis 2 gives that second account of the creation of man on the sixth day. Things are added to that picture before the story moves on. I want to give you an example. An example. Because I think these are things that we recognize, those of us. And and, and if you read chapter 2, you'll see this, even though we won't read this part today. But chapter 1, we just saw, says that man created them. Male and female, right? He created them. Isn't that, we read that this morning in Genesis chapter 1. Well, in Genesis chapter 2, we're told how. Genesis chapter 1, the bare fact. God created man, male and female. Chapter 2, he tells us how. He tells us that God created the man from the dust of the earth, earthy. And then he came and he took the rib of Adam and created the woman, fashioning the woman. Can you see how that's more detail than the simple statement, God created the male and female? A lot of people, never mind, I don't want to, 
this is the real thing. This is what really Genesis 2 is all about. Recounting what I already said in chapter 1 with more details, more richness, more important information. You know, they get that, you know, we didn't know in chapter 1 that we were created from the dust of the earth. We know that because of chapter 2. We didn't know how man and woman were created. But now in chapter 2, we know that the Lord put Adam into a deep sleep, took a rib out and formed a woman around it. That's more richness. That, that gives you more of this connection and understanding that when man and woman now become one flesh, see, they were, God, man was, woman was created out of the same flesh as man. And now when they get married, it's back in that same design, one flesh, for example. So let's turn now to Genesis 2, and let's take a look at a portion of this second recording of events on the sixth day. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now we find out man, God created man, but he formed man from the dust of the ground, and that meant that he was of the earth, literally of the earth, made out of the stuff of the earth, an earthy creation. And we also learn not only that we were created alive, but that God gave us that life directly. And how did he do it? He took the man of dust and gave that man life. How? The Lord God gave life to the man by breathing that very life into his nostrils, the breath of life. That is way more descriptive, isn't it? The pictures, you know, picture him forming mankind out of the dust and then breathing. The life, very life came from God in a very direct way. Not only were we created in the image and likeness of God, we have the very life that came from God, the breath of life. So that meant that the life that God gave the man was totally different from the life that any other creation ever had. The life that God gave to man was different from the life of the animals. Because our life came directly from God's breath. Verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. Well, well, there's no mention of the garden in chapter 1. This is more detail, though. This is not, oh, he created man on the sixth day, he rested on the seventh day, and then he created a garden. No, 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 no. This is all a recounting of the sixth day with more detail, more specific. By the way, what the details do is add a richness to the love that God had, the grace that he had, the special way in which he handled mankind every step of the way. He planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there, there he placed the man whom he had formed. Now get the picture. He created all of these things for man, right? 
And one would say, well, that's enough, isn't it? He, cre- he created the trees and the plants for us and the birds of the sky, everything. And everything on the earth, God, God gave man dominion over. But then he did something else. He said, out of all this, I'm now going to create in a place, a very special place, a garden for you to live in. Yes, you have dominion over the whole earth, but I'm going to give you the, the most amazing place that you live there. You live there. It's called the garden, the Garden of Eden. <laughs> and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground there, the God noticed, God caused to grow every tree that is, what's first here? Verse 9, out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree. Well, so far, isn't that the same thing as we've already seen in chapter, didn't he create all the trees in chapter 1? Well, here, he caused to grow every tree that is good for food. That's what he said in chapter 1. These trees shall be your food. It's good for food. And, of course, does, but does verse 9 simply restate the same thing? No. Can you see that something is added? Right? Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is what? Pleasing to the sight. Can you see how this is adding Tremendous thing that God gave, God breathed his very life into us. And and this, these trees that he brought into the garden, not only were they also good for food, but these trees were pleasing to the sight. Pleasing, that word pleasure. He wanted to give mankind pleasure freely. And it was to the sight. And we're going to see that that is, that is saying that there'll be a slide in a moment, but that, that God not only wanted to take care of our physical needs, but he wanted to take care of our inner need, as it were, our inner desire, right? That the soul desires things that are beautiful. And here we have God saying those trees will also be that for you. And also now in the garden, there's more information about trees, right? Again, out of the ground, verse 9, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight as well as good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life, by the way, is actually the life, the tree of the life, because it's the life of God represented in it. And also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want to just point out something here about this second tree. Is it just called the tree of good and evil? In other words, did God create evil on that tree? What did he create? What did he put? The knowledge of good and evil, right? Knowledge. He didn't create evil, but he created this thing called knowledge of good and evil. (laughs) So in chapter 2, verse 8, God created and made a special place special place on the earth for the man to live in. In other words, give me an analogy. A man can own acres and acres of land with trees all over the place. But is that good enough? Did he just marry a woman and say, let's now just roam in the forest together? Right? Well, certainly, yes. I mean, that's that's way of life. But isn't it a far more wonderful way of life than to say for you, 
I'm now going to create this special place. It's going to have our own home. It's going to have gardens that are just for us. See, that's that's the sense in which I want you to understand the Garden of Eden. Okay, a special place on the earth for the man and the woman to live in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And there would be trees in that garden, he said. There was, and there were special trees as well. Let's go back now to Genesis 1, 29, so that we can see this difference for ourselves. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. The first, the first description of the event, verse 29. Chapter 1, then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. In other words, he's talking about what he did over the whole surface of the earth. He talks about trees and fruit, and he said that will be food for you. God gave man every tree that had fruit and told him it was good. Well, what about in Genesis 2.9? Now go forward again to Genesis 2.9. Out of the ground in the, in, the, in the garden, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight. See, that's new and good for food. Not only is that new, but this is new as well. The tree of life that is in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, in this special place, God also adds this element of the fact that he would now put in there two unique trees. And and these two unique trees were sort sort of emblematic of the whole relationship between God and man. That in a certain way, God was going to say, listen, okay, I have life for you, but please understand that it, that that you need to understand that I am all sovereign. The Lord says I've given you all these things, okay, but your sovereignty does not include all of mine. And the way in which you're going to understand this is that I'm going to put something in the garden that's not for you. Does that make sense? You can't handle. One of the trees, literally, right? They're going to eat from it, but also mentally. You can't handle the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away. Stay away from that. Out of the out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree, the God, trees that God caused to grow in that garden were not only good for food, but also pleasing to the sight. What does it mean? It means that the trees in the garden were not only for man's body, but also for man's soul. Remember, we saw in the Gospel of Mark how, how Jesus said, you are to love the Lord your God, with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Right. We said, well, that's a, that is one way of looking at answering the question, what is man? Right. So briefly, it's man has a body, an outer life, but man has an inner life, mind, heart and soul. And when God created this special place, this garden, 
he provided not only for man's body, but also for man's soul. In Genesis chapter 1, 29, God gave man every tree that had fruit and told him it was good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, he also created, he said that these trees are not only good for food, but pleasing to the sight. Once again, the garden was the special place that God had created for the man to live in. And there the God, the Lord God created two unique trees in the midst of that garden. And these two were set apart from all the other trees. They were awe-inspiring. They were not simply for food. In fact, it doesn't say that they're for food at all. There were two of them. There was the tree of the life. Jesus is what? The way, the truth, and the life. And actually the Hebrew says the same thing. The life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you might say, well, everything God created was good. Isn't that what? And they say at the end of the sixth day, everything's good. By the way, nothing was evil. God didn't create anything evil. This is so important. But evil does, is, we have, is mentioned in connection with this one tree. But that's why I emphasize that it's the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't create evil. So you might think, here, here's something to think about. Everything in the garden was good, right? God created man to stay there and gave everything for his pleasure, everything for his body and his physical needs. Why on earth would we even, no pun intended, need to know about evil? Right? In other words, it was a, suge- it was a suggestion here that there's some knowledge I don't want you to ever have. I don't want you to ever have even the knowledge of evil. Now, God knew there was evil. I mean, at this point, the devil had already you know, fallen, and he's there. He's going to show up in chapter 3. God knew about evil, but he didn't want man to even know about evil. He said, this tree is a reminder of the fact that I don't, there are things that I don't want you to have, as well as everything I've given you to have. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's interesting, by the way, that the only time that the word knowledge is mentioned in all of Genesis is in connection with this specific tree. Evil is not mentioned regarding anything in the garden. So quite simply, knowledge of evil was clearly not part of God's original design for man. We weren't even supposed to know about it. I mean, you know, and why am I saying this? Because everything that God gave us is good. Everything that he said or did was for our benefit. All right? It, you know, sometimes it's this simplistic idea that, well, you know, God put this tree in the garden to test man. Well, no, he, did, he didn't. He didn't. It was a reminder to man that there are some things that God has put aside. Not This is not for you. Right? Why? Because there's a knowledge of something here that I don't want you to even know about. 
because as we know later on, if you do know about this, then there are these things that will now come to pass because you know, all right, because you know, I told you, you shouldn't know. You said, I want to know. Okay, now you'll know. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you this day for your unbelievable word. We, we can ask the question, who are we? And we can, we can, because you have inspired Moses to write Genesis, we can know about things that happened thousands and thousands of years before we were even born. And we can understand completely why this world is the way it is, why we are the way we are. And yet have the, we can have this yearning, this understanding, this groaning inside for something better, something beyond our ability to observe today in this world. And it all, the, the attainment of that all comes about because of your son and his death. And so now, Father, we would ask, please help us to, to appreciate more, to, to enter into more of an understanding of the amazing things that were accomplished at the cross as we bring into remembrance the death of the Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Thank we are now to Thank celebrate. You, Pastor. You're welcome. We're now going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I have a song today, but I don't want you to stand and sing it. For one thing is you never heard it before, probably. Some of you may have. But this time, I want you to just sit, hear the words as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper.
Colossians 1, 19-22 For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus Christ and through Christ to reconcile all things to himself, to God the Father, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. Jesus came to restore all that was lost in the fall of man. He came to reconcile man to God. He came to make peace with God for all things, whether on earth or in heaven. He came and he reconciled all things to the Father. He came to establish peace, an end of the hostility between man and God. And he did this through the blood of his cross. What a Savior. That's why in in, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we bring into remembrance the obedience of Christ unto the death of the cross. 
thereby reconciling us to the Father in his fleshly body through death, making peace by the blood of his cross. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, Thank you for giving us another opportunity to consider the death of your son on the cross, why he came, what he accomplished. Thank you, Father, that you have also given us a directive to continue to celebrate, to bring into remembrance the death of your son every time we gather together in the Lord's Supper and help us to understand that it's a witness. We are to proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. In Jesus name, we pray by the power of the spirit. Amen. Okay. A couple of reminders. We will have Bible study this Thursday, October 6th, 6.30 p.m., both in person and on Skype. Remember the mission field, Kingsley's trip, and Pastor Adam's home. Please pray for the financial support that it will be needed for Pastor Adams and Pastor Kingsley. Pray for the success of their missions. Also, again, this morning, please pray for John and Pam Jordan. Support them in any way you can. Remember the gospel, the simplicity of it, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh, died for us on the cross for our sins, was buried, was raised again on the third day, so that whoever simply believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior will never perish but have eternal life. Heavenly Father, as we close today, Help us as we leave to reflect on all that we have uh, that we have been a part of this morning, be it the song service or the, me, me, the, the message or the, or the Lord's Supper, all these things by the prayers that we have given, the missionary activity that we're, we're going to support. Help us to consider it all in light of the tremendous person of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray by the power of the spirit. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Enjoy this day. and.